0: The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
1: Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Tuesday, December 2nd, and on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. On Eye on the Triangle tonight, we bring you an interview highlighting research that links ecology and religion, as well as coverage on an event early next semester that requires work now if you want to participate. But first, we have a discussion with the North Carolina Executive Director of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. She's seeking to heighten people's awareness of the need to plan safely this holiday season. Most of us are familiar with Mothers Against Drunk Driving and their mission to not only prevent drunk driving, but to aid victims. As we approach the holiday season, it's vital to remember the importance of planning in order to avoid becoming caught in situations where drunk driving may occur. North Carolina's Executive Director of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, LaRonda Scott, says that the holiday season is of particular concern. It's
2: the most dangerous time of the year for us. And even though we've had a drop in terms of the number of fatalities and the crashes since 2012, and a number of people look at that and say, well, we're having progress, we're not satisfied with progress. That's why we are working with this campaign as an example. You know, the, the numbers are going down. Those numbers are still connected to faces, to names, to lost potential. So during this time of the year and all throughout the year, we want people to understand and be reminded that if you're her plans include alcohol to please include a non-drinking designated driver.
1: In addition to designating a driver, she says services like Uber and Lyft are good tools that enable people to make the smart decision to not drive after drinking.
2: It's giving individuals safe alternatives because it's no surprise being in North Carolina in terms of public transportation. We don't have the subways and things that you have in some of the larger cities. So having these services available to where you have the Ubers or the Lyfts or there are um, organizations, bodies of individuals that volunteer themselves to be designated drivers, down to the friend who is willing to say, I'm not going to drink tonight. I want to make sure we get home safely. It's important that we have safe alternatives available to us in our communities for people to make a smart decision Decision not to drink after, I mean not to drive after they've been drinking, so I think those are great um, alternatives and it's important for
1: people to think about that before they have their first drink She does stress however that while they are supportive of alternative means of transportation like Uber or public transit, mothers against drunk driving places a heavy emphasis on preventing careless decisions. One of the key things they're working on is bringing interlock legislation to North Carolina. It would really take us to be in, I believe, state number
2: 25 um, to put that law in place. There are other states that have passed an all-offender initiative law law in states such as Arizona, Oregon, Utah, West Virginia. And they have seen as large of a reduction in drunk driving deaths as much as 43%. -hmm. And MAD very much wants North Carolina to have that type of success. It has proven success. We know that it's saving lives and we need to take that next bold step here in North Carolina. And what does that mean? Is It means that it allows an individual that has been convicted of a DWI to continue driving, to continue driving to school, to get his or her education, to continue driving to work, um, to uh, be the breadwinner for their family. But what it does not allow them to do is drive after they have been drinking because their car will not work. It's set to the individual, where. It registers if that person has any alcohol in their system, and if they do, the car won't start. So it takes away the ability to to drive that car and reminds individual that, you know, driving on our roadways is a privilege, and we don't mind them doing that, but we don't want them to drive while impaired. And this campaign and the work of Nationwide and Taxi Taxi here in the Raleigh area and Yellow Cab in Charlotte and Governance Highway Safety, they're helping us to get that message out to remind people of the importance of not drinking and driving and the danger it poses on our roads.
1: In working to get this kind of legislation passed, MAD is using a grassroots approach to get the community involved.
2: It's the mad staff, it's volunteers, it's victim survivors, having those one-on-one meetings and testifying during committee meetings and sharing information just like this over the radio and in our print, helping lawmakers understand just how important this is and that the public wants this to happen because they know that it is keeping their family safe so we learned from each other when West Virginia passed their law and Arizona passed their law the techniques that they've used the conversations that they had those have been passed along and I'll use an example I've got a piece in my hand right now that shares a story of two young ladies that were killed as a result of someone drinking and driving but it um, also highlights the success of other states and what this could mean to North Carolina so now we're getting this in the hands of as many people as possible. So we're learning from each other and sharing that with states that have not yet come on board.
1: And all of this is with the aim of keeping North Carolinians as safe as possible because drunk driving does happen and it can have very real consequences.
2: The numbers, last year, during this holiday season, we lost 11 individuals here in North Carolina, and almost 200 individuals were injured. And want to remind people that this doesn't have to happen. We can't erase these tragedies, but together we can prevent others from happening. And that's what Taiwan on for Safety is about. Our red ribbons are reminding people to make a plan, to have a non-drinking designated driver. Our red ribbons are letting the community know that we're supporting our law enforcement when they are risking their lives out on the road. And we can't thank them enough for what they do.
1: If you want to help MAD, the best way is to reach out to them online at madd.org slash nc, and they can definitely use as much help as possible
2: when the session starts, we are going to need individuals to be at the assembly with us and carrying this message. We need individuals that are gifted in terms of technology and social media to help us continue to get the word out and do it in a way that really speaks to all different types of people and reaches them where they are. But we can never get away from the importance of increasing awareness and getting that word out to where if you are somewhere you see someone that has been drinking and they're trying to drive to intervene to do something and that's not always easy for people to do but you know find a way to intervene be non-confrontational if possible to suggest other alternatives to getting to their destination remember that the person that you're talking to is impaired to talk slowly and let them know that you care about them, and you want to make sure that they are being safe.
1: These kinds of situations can be tricky to handle, and resources are available on MADD's website to help you think about them ahead of time. They've also got a load of other useful resources that can come in handy, especially this time of year.
2: Holiday season, there are a number of celebrations that are going to take place. We don't want these celebrations to turn into tragedy, so MADD even offers a safe party guide with step-by-step on what to do and what not to do to make sure your family, friends, your guests are safe. So the resources are there, and we just encourage people to understand those resources and make a plan, again, before their first drink, because they may have a drink and feel like they're okay to drive, but they're truly not. No one gets behind the wheel with a desire to hurt someone else. But drunk driving does not affect you until it does, and this is 100% preventable.
1: Be safe out there. For I on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And up next, we have Michaela's coverage on a very unique study that links ecology and religion, brought to you by none other than NC State.
0: A few weeks ago, I was given the opportunity to interview Carlos Potero, who is an ecologist here at NC State, and ask him about his research that he's been doing on ecology and religion and how the two seem to intermix. So here's what he has to say on the matter.
3: My name is Carlos Botero, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the Initiative for Biological Complexity in the Department of Biology at NC State. I recently got together with a very multidisciplinary team of researchers uh, that included religious scholars, evolutionary biologists, ecologists, anthropologists, linguists. Um, And we explored the effects of ecological variables on the types of research beliefs that different traditional societies had around the world what we were trying to figure out was whether there was uh, any robust evidence of an effect of ecology, specifically on the belief that moralizing high gods, which are basically um, basically su- supernatural beings that are believed to have created or at least to govern all of uh, everything in existence, and that uh, they have some interest in human affairs and specifically that they enforce some sort of moral guidelines. Now, what we discovered was that... Um, It is not very simple to actually address this question empirically because you need to account for a whole series of different processes that are happening on as cultures evolve. So, for example, uh, some societies may be similar in their beliefs just because they descend from the same ancestral society. Some others may be similar because they live in close proximity, so they could exchange ideas through commerce, through war, through intergroup marriage or things like that, or some others may be similar just because of other source of social or political environments. So what we did was to collect information on all of these aspects and to try to incorporate all of this into the model and try to figure out if after we accounted for this processes, we still found a detectable signature of the environment. we found a really striking effect we found that societies that live in places that are much more resource poor and that tend to be more prone to ecological duress tend to also exhibit a much higher probability of believing in this moralizing high gods and this is notable because what we know from non-human animals is that the same types of ecological conditions tend to promote cooperation for example in birds we know that the species that exhibit something that we call cooperative breeding which is when different adults get together and basically cooperate in the rearing of the young, uh, regardless of whether they are the the true parents or not from that offspring, those social groups or those species that form social groups that cooperate in breeding tend to occur primarily in places that are more variable and more unpredictable in terms of temperature and precipitation. So that suggests that the finding that we have with, with this religious beliefs may have something to do as well with social behavior and, the link that I haven't told you yet is that um, it turns out that experimental studies that came before us, people that believe in moralizing high gods or priming people with the concept of a moralizing high gods tend to enforce the following of social rules, tends to also promote things like fairness, cooperation, and even honesty, all of which are traits that may help to the proper functioning of social groups. And that, we believe, is the link between what we find in in religious beliefs, and in cooperation in animals. A well-known example is Christianity and Islam. Those are two situations in which you have a set of moral guidelines that you're supposed to abide, and in theory, uh, God is there to enforce them later on, So, or immediately. But I want to stress that the study that we did was not—the units of our analysis was not religions— We're, we had 583 different societies, but we were not exploring it in terms of each one of them being a different religion. We were exploring like traditional societies and what kinds of beliefs they, they had. So we are looking at things like the Nama people or the Bantu people in Africa or some Native American societies here in North America. So we were not just looking at, say, what people in the United States versus Germany believe in. We were looking at the really Native people or the really traditional people, uh, which are usually... Distinguished from other groups of human beings by a unique set of cultural values and a unique, most of the time, a unique language. The use of a unique language. So, so our units were this smallish social groups that hold a series of different cultural traditions. One of them is this uh, possibility that they either believe or not in the in the presence of a moralizing high god. We're talking about a statistical pattern, as a, a, and as all statistical patterns, it predicts the general behavior of things, but it doesn't mean necessarily that every single society behaves in the same way. I would not be able to tell you exactly which exceptions there are, but I do know that there is some noise in the relationship, and that in some cases, the association between resource scarcity and the probability of believing, or, or actually the outcome of believing in, in, in moralizing high God or not, is not as what we would expect. So there's every now and then you find things that are not exactly what it is, but Unfortunately, I wouldn't be able to tell you right now off the top of my head of an example. The first thing that I would like to encourage your listeners is that the paper is available online and it's open access. So anybody can download it regardless of whether you belong to a university or not. And anybody could actually go and see the results for themselves. The paper contains two key figures that are important to kind of like get an idea of what we're talking about. The first one is a map in which we paint on grayscale the amount of resources that the world has. The darker the part of the map is, the more potential for plant growth, the more biodiversity you find in those regions. So that basically is is an underlying map of abundance. Over that underlying map of abundance, what we've done is we plotted the different societies in our sample, which in the end, there were 583 societies distributed all around the world. And we've color-coded them in such a way that the societies that believe in immoralizing high gods are plotted in one color, and the ones that do not believe in them are plotted in another one. The striking thing for me actually as a researcher was at the very, the very first time that I saw this pattern, the striking thing for me was that it was clearly spatially aggregated. So it's not just random where the societies believe, that believe in moralizing high gods exist, but that they tend to ex- exist in certain parts of the planet. And the other striking thing that, I, that that I realized was that those parts where they tend to exist are tend to be the places where the, the scarcity is the greatest, okay? So places but not necessarily just those, but places like deserts or places where where there's very little production or places where where rainfall is complicated or where biodiversity is not that great, those places tended to be uh, the ones that had a greater probability of having those societies that believe in moralizing high gods. So that, that first map kind of like gives you a, a bird's eye view of the situation and it makes you realize Wow, there is a spatial pattern that is interesting and that may have something to do with these ecological variables that I'm plotting in the background. Now, as I said before, you actually have to realize that there are other variables that may have produced that outcome because all those societies that coexist, for example, in close proximity in northern Africa, may be descendants of, a, of an earlier society that just basically multiplied and grew. And then you have these descendants tend to be closer in space. So some of that spatial pattern may have something to do with history rather than with the environment. So in the paper, we systematically go through all the different variables that people have suggested in the past that may have something to do with these kinds of beliefs. And what we figure out is that, yes, there is an effect of things like political complexity. There's an effect of things like animal husbandry and agriculture. Uh, But after you account for all of those things, you still find a very strong signal from from ecology. The other plot that you can find kind of like another visual summary that you can find in the in the paper is this figure in which there are different panels and you show and we show in each of these panels the effect of a different variable. So, for example, we find that as societies become more complex, the probability of believing in moralizing high God increases a little bit. Or we find that um, as the environment becomes scarcer, uh, the probability increases. Or as the predictability of the environment changes, there's an interesting interaction between uh, resource scarcity and, re- and environmental stability. So we show these kinds of things graphically to make it easier for the reader to to understand what the what the effects are. So if you think about the variables that went into the model, it's basically just seven. But the caveat is that all the ecological variables are summarized into two what we call principal components. But basically, the the, the variables in the model are basically environmental stability, or sorry, climate stability, environmental harshness, political complexity, agriculture, animal husbandry, and language and spatial proximity. The fantastic, almost unprecedented finding here is that with those seven things, we're able to to predict the type of belief that a society will exhibit correctly 91% of the time. This is like Unprecedented. When when I started this kind of, of, of research, I just never imagined that I would be able to predict something as complex as religious beliefs or religious practices uh, in human beings with a model that has seven parameters. I must emphasize that this is not we're not predicting everything about religion. We're just looking at one tiny aspect of many different aspects of religious beliefs that are important for social functioning, that are important for a whole bunch of different things. But this tiny aspect of religious beliefs, which is the belief in a moralizing high God or in moralizing high gods in plural, it can be really well predicted by those seven things. The caveat that I was telling you about the environmental variables is that one of the strengths of this particular project is that instead of having subjective metrics of ecology, like people in the past had been doing, we were actually able to measure in really great detail what ecology or ecological context meant. So we were able to measure things like the annual cycles in precipitation or in temperature. What was the mean? What was the variance? How predictable were things from one year to the next? We were able to measure things like how many species of birds, mammals, plants lived in that society, lived in that same locality of that, that society. We were able to measure things like the net primary production, which is basically the, the potential for plant growth in different times of the year and the cycles and how the cycles changed. So this kind of like really rich kind of like characterization of ecological variables is a, a really a good strength of this of this paper because it allows us to to see detail where people before had missed it because it was really difficult to measure these kinds of variables in the past. And it's not that we are any in any way special. It's just that we're lucky enough to live in a time where these variables are available and we can harness the power of big data to actually ask the question that many bright people have actually asked before and tried their best with whatever they had. We moved the bar a little bit farther away, but like standing on the shoulder of people who had actually done a really great job before us. The methods that we lay out in this paper are actually really amenable to help us learn a lot about human culture. We have already several really interesting projects in the works trying to explore these kinds of same issues, the effect of, of history, the effect of social contact, the effect of eco- ecology and other social variables, on the evolution of a range of traits, including, uh, for example, marriage taboos, including uh Practices like male genital mutilation, including the evolution of, of, of human dwellings, like how the traditional houses look like in different parts of the world. I would like to actually point out that my research program doesn't end in cultural evolution, but I do a range of other things and that we will soon have like a really, what I think is a really exciting paper coming out about a model that helps us predict how um, evolutionary processes will behave or what kind of evolutionary responses we would expect with climate change. And we think that that is actually going to be a really key tool for us as biologists to have in order to actually uh, deal with the unexpected threats of this important phenomenon that is happening right now. Awesome. Thank you, Michaela. It was a pleasure.
0: For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Michaela O'Connor.
1: And now, an event next semester that you might want to start preparing for now. January 23rd, 2015, 11 p.m. Where are you going to be? Perhaps you might visit Carmichael Gym for some performances and activities. Why not do it with some of your friends? Why not join the groups of other students that will be there that night for a load of fun events and challenges?
0: One of the challenges is going to be a riff-off. Like, if you've seen Pitch Perfect, the scene where there, you get a word and you have to come up with all the songs you know with that word in it and, like, play off each other, that's going to be one. And that's I'm super excited about that because I like to sing. We're also going to have, like, a giant obstacle course type thing. So there's going to, we're trying to make all the challenges different. Like, we're trying to have, like, a physical one and then vocal one.
1: The event is for NC State's St. Jude Up Till Dawn organization. Pauline Weissman is a junior in communications with minors in business and Russian and is the public relations director for St. Jude Up Till Dawn on campus. She explains more about the event.
0: We're a student-led organization and we work really closely with an actual representative from St. Jude to make this event happen and it's going to be a big all-night team challenge with like music, food, prizes, games, and it's going to be January 23rd. The doors open at 11 and it goes until 6 in the morning. And every hour we're going to have a different challenge and then there's going to be stuff in between and there's going to be some performances and you will never be bored. And it's basically just a celebration of all the money that we've raised for St. Jude, kind of rewarding people for all the fundraising they've done.
1: The fundraising she mentions is your ticket in. Basically, each team of six students is tasked with raising at least $600. The money, as we all know, goes to a great cause.
0: At St. Jude, no family ever pays a bill. So the treatment, which can be very expensive, the food, the lodging, the transportation from wherever they came from to Memphis, Tennessee, all that is completely covered by the hospital. So obviously that takes a lot of money to do. And the operating cost of the hospital itself is nearly $2 million a day. And that all comes from individuals like ourselves. They do have partners with some corporations that donate a lot of money, but most of their fundraising actually comes from individuals.
1: Through this event here on campus, Pauline and the rest of NC State's Up Till Dawn team aim to raise at least $20,000. And they need help from a lot of NC State students, graduate and undergraduate, to reach that goal.
0: We're reaching out to everyone. Any club that wants us to come give a presentation about what we are and wants to sign up, we will be happy to be there. We've been emailing all the student organizations. We just really want everyone to be involved and to make this as a diverse and fun event as possible.
1: To make a team, search for their social media accounts on Facebook at St. Jude Up Till Dawn CSU, or at UTD NCSU on Twitter. If you're not sure how to fundraise or you don't think you'll be able to raise enough, Pauline has this to say.
0: Fundraising is really easy. There's a website that we use, and it has a participant center where you have all your information, and it basically gives you email templates, and it makes fundraising super easy And it shows how much progress you've raised and how much the total event progress is. And it's where you can see who's on what team. And it's just basically like it makes the whole fundraising process a lot easier. You'd be surprised who will help you and who wants you to succeed and will support this mission. Because everyone, a lot of people are kind of intimidated by the idea of fundraising. But all it really takes is a few emails, a few Facebook posts maybe a little bake sale or something fun with your friends. It's so easy. And we have all these people on the exec board that their job is fundraising chair, and they're there to help you, and they will literally do everything they can to make sure that you can attend the event. So we just want to make sure people know that it's about having fun and raising money, but we want it to be fun.
1: In addition to forming a team and fundraising for the big event, you can help St. Jude up till dawn by attending any of their several fundraising events. Like the Brugger's Percentage Day earlier this month, or the Pia Carolina Kid that took place on the Brickyard. Tomorrow they have a percentage partnership with the Chick-fil-A in Cameron Village. To find out more, visit their Twitter page at UTDNCSU. For I and the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And now hear your campus happenings for the following week.
4: Here's what's going on at NC State. Tomorrow is the last day of classes for the fall semester here at NC State. To all our students out there, congratulations on making it through this semester. As finals approach, please be sure to take a deep breath and relax a bit between study sessions. Confide in your peers and work alongside your friends. The Wolfpack is here to support you. If needed, please visit studentsofconcern.ncsu.edu. With the end of the semester come loads of stress-busting events, brought to you by UAB and Student Involvement. Tomorrow from 11 a.m. to noon, the UAB will be giving away Stress Buster gift bags in the Brickyard. In EB2, student involvement will be handing out slices of pizza to hungry students beginning at 11.30 a.m. If you're looking for a great way to celebrate the end of classes, head out to Wolf Plaza tomorrow night from 6 to 8 p.m. to chow down on some donuts and hot chocolate. Mr. and Mrs. Wolf will make a visit, as will the acapella group Ladies in Red. Ornament decoration will also be taking place, and all are invited to help make their own contribution to the Wolf Pack Tree, which will be lit at 7 p.m. What better time is there to celebrate the red and white that we all hold so dear? Tomorrow evening is the state holiday meal event at Fountain and Clark Dining Halls. A state holiday transforms your dining halls into an NC State winter wonderland, trademark NC State 2014. Food and fun are guaranteed for all who come. Tomorrow evening is also the final jazz ensemble concert for this semester. Catch the performance in Thompson Hall's Titmus Theater at 7 p.m. For more information and ticketing, visit arts.ncsu.edu. Thursday evening at Fountain Dining Hall, Dr. Ambrose will return with his infamous Insect Cafe. Escape the stress of studying and take a brave bite of one of the creepy, crawly samples. Later Thursday night, the Craft Center is hosting a stress buster event open to all NC State students. Refreshments and crafts activities will be available to help relieve end-of-semester stress from 9 p.m. to midnight at the Craft Center. Refer to last week's Eye on the Triangle for a list of crafts available at the Craft Center. No registration is needed, and you can find more information at ncsu.edu crafts. Friday evening, the famous a cappella group, The Grains of Time, will be performing in the Jones Auditorium at Meredith College. The event will take place at 7 p.m., and pricing and more information can be found also at arts.ncsu.edu. On campus Friday evening, CIA Improv will be performing in Thompson Hall at 7 p.m. Sunday, NC State's Music Department presents the Brickyard Brass Quintet. The performance will take place in Price Music Center, room 120, at 4 p.m. The event is open to the public. At 8 p.m. on Sunday, the movie Yes Man will be showing at the Campus Cinema in the Witherspoon Student Cinema. For more information on these events and more, visit ncsu.edu calendar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm DJ Trillian.
1: And that's all we have for you this evening. As always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, you can let us know and tweet at us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on some more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. After Hours is up next at 8, and you can catch our best of episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. We'd like to thank our contributors, Michaela and DJ Trillion For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Good night.